This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 616, hey now, that sounds familiar, nah. of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. And my name is Matt Baum, I am this Earth 616, Matt Baum. In this episode, we are back. I'm the Earth One, Joe Patrick. So eat shit. <laughs> Is that right? In this episode, we're back to reviewing new comics from this and last week, and then we're going to talk about our must-read picks for next week. And finally, the THN historian Jason Sachs stops by for another edition of Who the Hell Is This Guy? The Beta Ray Bill edition, and let me tell you, it's a doozy. So warm up your eBay machines because the NFT attached to this show ought to get you at least five bucks before it ends up in the digital dollar bin next month. We do not know how NFTs work. I do. It's review time in the ziggurat. And they're dumb. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I know. I going to say it. They are dumb. Yeah, it is dumb. Biological. And guess what? Rob Liefeld is out there asking people, instead of Googling, he's asking Twitter, who do I talk to about making an NFT? Mike Diodato. He's your man. He'll tell you all about it. <laughs> It's time again to review some new comics, and as always, our first two comics come from last week's pile, and the last two from this week's. Speaking of piles, this one's full of new Firefly crews, shadow monsters, time-traveling possession, kids that transform into tubes, and hipster witches. Joe Patrick, why don't you get us started here? All right. My first review is of Firefly, colon, brand new verse, number one from Boom. Set 20 years after the events of the movie, Zoe Washburn is now captain of the Serenity. She sharing old. the hmm? She yeah, old. Well, I mean, she's 20 years older, yeah. so she's probably, what, 50-something? She old. Sharing the duties with her daughter, Emma, but Emma struggles to prove herself to Zoe and seems to be more interested in the way things used to be instead of embracing the way things are. Get it? It's kind of the reverse of how they were on the show. The art by Yasmin's Fabiana Mascalo is solid. Uh, the coloring is interesting. It's a little bit muted. And I thought at first that it didn't really work, but I ended up really liking it at the end. But the story by Josh Lee Groban, who is not a famous singer. That's just Josh Groban. Oh, not, I thought this was Josh, Josh Groban right I didn't know. Yeah. I just figured that's no his middle name. Like, oh, shit, the whitest singer in the world is writing this? Yeah, oh, my like God. Like Jerry Lee Lewis, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the story. It Josh Groban is the whitest person in the world. <laughs> is he whiter than Ed Sheeran? Yes. It's crazy okay. how white that dude is. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, the story, though, it just it didn't really offer anything new to say. It's just a flip flop of the original themes. It's a future world, but it's just more Firefly. And it's missing most of the characters that you loved. <laughs> Firefly, brand new verse number one, isn't bad. It also didn't really hook me. I'm giving it a skim it. I'm going to disagree with you here. Uh, I actually went really? into this thinking it was going to be all the things that you just said, and I ended up really liking it. I ended up very much liking Zoe's daughter. I like that Zoe's in charge now. I 
like the new crew. I like the new status quo for the universe and found myself thinking after this was done, found myself thinking, you know what? Rather than relaunching Firefly with characters that they're not going to be able to re-sign to come back to the show and stuff, I would watch this. I would watch this story set in the Firefly universe with Zoe and her daughter. I thought it was compelling. I thought it was interesting. I thought the art was really good. I'm giving this a buy it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. It was fine. I, it was I mean, fine at best. I, I, I don't know, man. I thought the script was really well written and compelling. And I, I just I, like, I at the it. end of it, I was like, okay, we've got a whole new crew, and the majority of them have nothing to do. But I mean, like the story between, like, look, the universe has changed, and we can't do our jobs really? like we used to. You know, like there was a struggle before, sure, but now things have fundamentally changed. There's no, no reavers in what anymore. Way? I want you to tell me in what way it's fundamentally There's no changed. reavers anymore. There's no like galactic empire that's like lording over things. The whole idea of pirating has changed because like the universe has said, look, we're, we're past this. It this, seemed this like I, I know that the reavers, I know that they did away with the reavers, but like to me, this just read like the same universe where it's just like, Yep, there's a governing body. They are trying to fit in. They are secretly criminals. Oh, like it's, it hit all the same beat. See, but now they're secretly criminals in the universe that they wanted, and they got the universe they wanted, and they don't know what else to do, which I thought was pretty interesting. So they wanted a universe where their activities were still criminalized. No, they wanted a universe when they were criminals before. They were Robin Hood type criminals who felt they were fighting. No, they weren't. Yeah, they absolutely were. They were fighting no, the they man. Weren't. They they stole for their own profit. Sure, but they also were fighting the man. They stole from people they felt were bad. They didn't yes. they didn't go rob and rape and pillage and stuff. They were totally But they weren't robbing like robbing them. from the rich to give to the poor. They were robbing for themselves. But they were robbing from the rich to give to themselves who they thought were the downtrodden. Sure. Now they're in a in a space where that's not the rule anymore and they're trying to figure out what happens next. And I think it's pretty oh, interesting. Oh boy, I think you really read into the things that were not in the script. I really liked it. My first review is of Detective 1034, which is a ridiculous number to say out loud. It's from DC. It's written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Dan Mora. The Tamaki-Mora run technically started with their Future State story, but this feels more like their actual first detective comic story. Bruce is still separated from his family fortune and setting up mini bat caves in the Gotham sewers. Meanwhile, his new neighbors are trying to introduce him to inner city living while Mayor Nakano is ratcheting up his war on vigilantes, which seems like a bad idea because the vigilantes are the only person that seemed to be able to save him in these situations. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but they're making the cops look bad. Like, yeah, but nobody got killed when the super criminals showed up because a vigilante came. So <laughs> then we get part two of the Damien story that started in the last issue of Batman, number 106, which sees Damien visiting his mother, Talia al Ghul, and learning about the League of Lazarus and the upcoming tournament of fighters, including a very familiar face with a very different and whole new attitude. Need to see where that's going. No spoilers. Tamaki is doing a wonderful job writing both Batman and Bruce Wayne, which has proven to be the downfall of many Bat writers. In fact, I would argue there are several legendary Bat writers that treated Bruce like a broken little boy side character. But Tamaki is spending time on the actual man instead of just the Bat, and it's refreshing. I, I liked 
the stuff with the neighbors. <laughs> like where he was uncomfortable to go to this backyard party and he got there and went and found himself thinking, I've never had neighbors. I've never done this. This is refreshing. These are good people, you know? Dan Mora looks like he's been training to draw Batman all his life, and it has paid off big time. He's not reinventing the look and feel of a Bat book, but he is bringing some much-needed, like, familiarity back to Detective Comics after the big shakeup of Future State, and he is nailing it. I'm not sure how long... I care to see Bruce out of the mansion and separated from his fortune and whatnot. It it gets a little ridiculous if you really start to think about it. Nightwing, who we're going to talk about shortly, is starting like Titans Academy and has plenty of cash, you know. But Bruce is just like. But I like the reason fucked. why Nightwing's got a bunch of cash. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like the reason why Nightwing. No spoilers there. But it's but hard to you believe can, that you can read. It's hard to believe that he wouldn't be like, Bruce, it's time for me to pay you back. No, I suppose, <laughs> this yeah, isn't, I I'm not letting this happen. I can also see Bruce being the sort of guy that's like, no. Yeah, I'm I can the, see Bruce. I've got a re- I've, I'm rebuilding. I'm rebuilding Batman from the ground. And up, maybe you know? if I that's saw the sort that of shit, Batman, maybe do. if I saw that moment where Bruce was just like, keep your money. I don't want it. Fuck off. And they're like, oh, Bruce, that's so you. Well, I I don't know if he would really be that mean about it, but yeah. Actually, he might be based on who he's been in the past. I do like the very personal story that Tamaki is setting up here, though. The Robin backup story has me legitimately excited for this new Robin book that comes out next week, I believe. And not just because it marks a return of one of my favorite DC characters. Anytime you have a massive underground martial arts kumite style tournament i am so completely in and joshua williamson along with artist gleb melnikov have a fantastic setup for this robin book i've given this a buy it this was great i have been looking forward to tamaki and mora taking over this book uh like for realsies for a long time future state was fine and all but now we're back in the shit mainline DC Gotham City and I am all into it. So Matt and I did have some confusion about uh, a character that appears at the end. We're, we're not quite sure what's going on. I, with. Don't, I don't think we're supposed to be quite sure though. Yeah, you know, right. And then I think that's where we landed is yeah. that, oh, it's not like, it's not supposed to be somebody where we go, ooh, it's Bane. Right. You know, it's not Which like is that. refreshing because it is that every time. Every time there's a last major right, reel, right, it's yeah. like, oh my God, it's a scarecrow. Ah! You know? <laughs> right. I, I, but I think like my confusion mostly stemmed from, was it this guy we just saw or yeah. is it a different guy? It looked like a character um, that we saw in the book for, for certain. Right, yeah. And maybe that's exactly what it's supposed to be. We'll find out. Yeah, we will see. We will see. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I, I love the fact that there's like still these roving gangs of people. It's like the Japanese at the end of World War II, right? They didn't get the memo. Right. That the war is over. We've got these roving gangs well, of Joker-themed villains. I don't know if it was that or this was a leftover gang that was trying to prove themselves to someone else. I mean, it kind of struck me in that same vein, though, yeah. right? Like, where it's like, hey, guys, the Joker war's over. Right. The, the, the jig is up. Bruce <laughs> but, does make a comment, though. Like, it seemed like they were trying out for something. Yeah, yeah. They got their tech from the Joker yeah. who stole it from Wayne Enterprises. But it, but it seemed like they're trying out, they're trying to impress someone or trying out for a Yeah, job, not so. the Joker because everyone thinks he's deed. Yeah. Um, uh, something else I didn't quite understand, but that's probably because I did not read the Joker War. Uh, why can't he just use the Batcave? The real Batcave? 
because it's under his house and he doesn't live there anymore. You don't think that was the only way into the Batcave, do you? I mean, I he guess had cars not. and planes to drive out of there and shit. I don't know. It probably makes noise and shit. And whoever's living no, Matt, in, in Wayne Manor no. right now. Is he it? flew planes and <laughs> helicopters out of the Batcave. Yeah, I, they I'm did saying, not make noise. But they were a, a mile away from the neighbors and shit like that. If someone is there right now or the or the bank took it back over or something. No, you can't fly planes <laughs> okay, and helicopters listen, out of there. <laughs> follow, follow my logic here. I'm with you. If, if Bruce Wayne, if Bruce Wayne pre status quo is throwing a black tie affair at Wayne Manor and he has to sneak out to fight crime. As we have seen a thousand times before, he probably doesn't fly a jet. Notably, he gets a motorcycle. Notably <laughs> in the in the in Batman 1989 starring Michael Keaton, he sneaks out of his own party to okay. go be Batman. That's movie shit. Uh, Keep your movie shit out of my comments. Hear, they do not hear him driving his race car out of the Batcave. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the Batcave, the exit is a ways away, but he can't get to it. He's got, like, he can't get to it anymore. It doesn't matter. I don't buy that. He's I, I separated know why. from his fortune. Maybe, maybe he was addressed in the story. I want to know why. This is part um, of my problem with that as well. And that's why I'm saying I don't know how long I need him to be separated from this and doing this. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a pride thing, you know? Maybe it's just like, I need it. <laughs> I don't need like, no there, Batcave no more. I don't need no supercomputers. <laughs> like, really? Like, uh, <laughs> like uh, during No Man's Land, right? Like, uh, there was a, he had little satellite caves set up all over the city. Yeah. You know, maybe this is that. Um, anyway, uh, yes, this is great. Uh, I mean, I think the Robin uh, series is going to be really good. Oh. I have to say, though, the more I look at the new Robin costume, the less I like it. Oh, I like it. I kind of like it. It's got this frilly little waistcoat thing. I just, oh, man, I kind of dig know. it. He looks like, like full on ninja Robin. Now. Like I'm fine with the all black, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll oh, see. I dig it. Uh, but yes, uh, we've we've drawn down about this. This uh, this is a great book, a great start to this, uh, a great proper start to this run. Absolutely buy it. Super fun. And I do love Mayor Eyepatch. I don't know why. I just think he's awesome. He's awesome because I think they're trying to set him up as a super bad guy, and he's not a super bad guy. Yeah, he's just a mayor. No mudslinging in this campaign. Yeah, Penguin! That boy! Speaking of Infinite Frontier, my next review is of Harley Quinn number one. Harley is back in her own series for Infinite Frontier, now serving as partner to Batman a partner to Batman uh, following the events of the Joker war. Harley's trying to make amends for her past as Joker's pudding, but the people of Gotham aren't so easy to forgive. This is a much more grounded take on the character courtesy of writer, Stephanie Phillips. Uh, she's still, you know, wacky. She cracks a lot of jokes, but the more madcap uh, let's call them Deadpool esque elements of past runs are toned down in a way I really appreciated. Like she's not talking to a stuffed badger, you know, it's like, it's way more down to earth. I loved Harley's interactions with Batman as he struggles to trust her and she tries to find her way as his new ally. Uh, she shows up and she's like, when do I start getting those checks? Give me those checks, Batman. And Batman is like, what are you talking about? There are no checks. <laughs> You, you mean to tell me that Robin doesn't get compensated? This is bullshit. <laughs> Riley Rosmo's art is unbelievable. There's an incredible fluidity to his character designs and the way he lays out a page. That's impossible to deny. Uh, there's one page featuring Batman fighting an angry mob yeah. that made me say, whoa, out loud. 
the issue ends with the return of one of my favorite classic Batman villains. I've loved this character since I was a little kid. I couldn't tell you why, because he's doesn't really have that. Doesn't really have a cool gimmick going yeah, for I'm him. I'm kind of shocked. Like, really? Yeah, no, I just, it's the sort of thing where it's like, I had a comic with him in it as a, as a kid. I mean, I like I the character like, too, but like, yeah. Favorite? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. no, I love him. I love him. I love okay. him. Uh, no judgment. I, I like some dumb characters. Yeah, yeah no, I, I've never, I've never really cared for Harley Quinn as a character, but I thought the first issue of her new series was great. I'll be back for more. I'm giving it a buy it. Yes. This is the best usage I've seen of this character yet. And one of my, one of the things that I had a problem with in the future state stuff was that like, okay, we're in another story. We're going to trust Harley Quinn to do something. It's just why she's given you no reason ever to trust her in any well, situation but that book's set in the future. And I get that. So this takes place before that. And maybe this sets up why they did trust her to do some things and mm-hmm. make some more sense. And I like that. They dialed things back a little bit and Harley, it's not unbelievable either. Harley's doing what Harley feels she needs to do right now to survive. And right. it's not going to last forever. Of course. But I think Batman is also smart enough to know that and say, well, I'm in a situation where I don't have everything I used to have. I don't have access to the Batcave like we were just screaming about. So I will hold her at arm's length and let her do her thing. And if she's going to give me valuable information, fine. But she stays there. And he firmly established that, like, this is as far as I trust you. And this is what you can do. And I thought this was great. Riley Rosmo, God damn. Damn, that right, talented. Uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to make it seem like it's all about the art. Uh, comics are a visual medium, Stephanie but they're all a great like, job the, writing. the writing does half the heavy lifting, right? Yeah. And I thought that Stephanie, like I liked the the Future State story, which was also by Stephanie Phillips. You you didn't care for it as much as I did. Um, but when I, it, it was announced that she was taking over the main book and that Rosma would be the artist, I was like, oh, well, we're that's going to be good. We're going to talk about this in my next review, too. One of the falling downs of future state, in my opinion, was, yes, they dropped you into this future where things are happening, but they tried to do too much. It was hard to get invested. Yeah, it was just super hard to get invested. And now when you go back in time and look like, well, maybe this is how this started and built up to it. Okay. Now I start to see like, yeah, all right, that makes a little more sense. And I can see where this right. is going now. And the next book, let, let's just get into it. I gave it a buy it as well. My next review is of Teen Titans Academy, number one from DC. This is cre- this was written by Tim Sheridan with art by Rafa Sandoval, the same crew that did a Teen Titans book that I gave a very low skim it, almost to leave it because I could barely follow what was going on because they did so and I, much. And I gave it a, and I gave it a buy it because I thought it was so ballsy yeah. for having so many balls in the air. It was just nuts. Yeah, no. <laughs> the insane Titan story this team introduced in the pages of future state Titans begins here. And unlike that story, this one is a lot easier to follow. It's a new group of kids that are moving into Titans tower to be trained by the original Titans, Starfire, Nightwing, cyborg beast boy who is now changeling is that right no he's they call him beast boy they call him beast boy okay because he's a man which is kind of weird he he used to be changeling he they went back to beast boy all right 
in the 2000s. Bad name. And Donna Troy, who are running the school, while the team of upperclassmen are the actual Teen Titans. This group of freshmen has some interesting characters, like a non-gendered, quilted character that looks like Ragman, totally tubular, who we now find out can shape change into a tube, <laughs> but only a tube, I guess, Brat Girl, and my personal favorite, Gorilla Greg, who- Gorilla Greg! Talking gra- Gorilla. Love him. He's so great. This is just to name a few. There is a mystery brewing with the Red X character, and it's Nightwing's birthday. This is a direction that DC hasn't taken with the Titans since Jeff Johns wrote the book back in 2003, and I've been waiting for the school aspect to return ever since. It was great to see characters like Yakim Thunder make his return, along with the new kid Flash on the Teen Titans team. I love the senior Titans as teachers, and I absolutely think this is a better role for all of these characters. Sandoval's art is excellent, and he does a great job on his characters, even when they're not in costume, which is very important when you just have a group of kids that show up. Now that Sheridan has some room to breathe, he's settled down a bit. He's not trying to smash as many plots into 28 pages like he did in his future State Titans. This was just great and had a real classic DC magic feel to it, along with the Red X mystery under the surface, which is going to be a huge thing. I have not been excited for a Titans title in years, but this one looks to be off to a very solid start and has me pumped to read more. I am giving this a buy it yeah this was awesome and like you said i have not enjoyed the teen titans in a long time well they have it's a very long time they've been so directionless with them and like this is what you do well this is exactly what you do with them we know look batman superman aquaman they are too busy to do this shit so yeah hand this to these characters and be like we're gonna teach you guys how to be sidekicks first and then the next heroes you know yeah, I, I think that it's a great take on the Titans concept is this kind of training up the next generation thing. And uh, the the new characters are super fun. I love that they call uh, totally tubular Tubi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is cute. Um, Gorilla Greg, of course. And <laughs> love him. Uh, quite, quite possibly my favorite part of the book, the fact that Rafa Sandoval draws beast boy with the same gigantic sideburns that george perez used to do oh yeah he's he's huge full on. sideburns baby yeah. he looks like he works at hipster barbershop and like you can get a, <laughs> you can get a scotch there while you get a shave yeah. you know or whatever um <laughs> now i will say this there are still some characters that i i i don't really care about that were in the previous run like um Lobo's daughter and um yeah. who who is this guy he's like a genie character he's blue is his name uh, the gin or something like that um it, but whatever it, but this is a, a great start i'm really looking forward to where this goes it's a huge buy it the art is incredible yeah rafa sandoval is an amazing artist. total badass and perfect for this like this is a guy that can draw a huge team book and make every person look separate interesting and instantly noticeable and that is very difficult yeah yep for sure <laughs> Next up for me, Shadecraft, number one from Image. I had kind of a tough time pinning down my feelings about Shadecraft, but after I thought about it enough, I I kind of figured it out. Uh, When I read the solicit last week, I thought it sounded like a fun idea. 
a high school outcast, Zadie Lou discovers that the shadows around her are trying to kill her. How can she fight back? What does it all have to do with her family? Interesting. I, I still think the concept is great on paper, uh, but there was something about the execution by writer Joe Henderson and artist Lee Garbett that didn't sit well with me. Uh, and I think it all boils down to the way Henderson has Zadie narrate everything yeah. that's happening to her at every moment of every page out loud. Yeah. No matter who's around to hear it. Yeah. We, we just watched that Soleil Moon Fry documentary that she has out like teen, whatever. And it's about growing up the nineties and they kept yeah, showing yeah. all these old, like punky Brewster scenes. And that's like all punky Brewster did was walk around narrating everything. she's doing. Right. And that's yeah. exactly how I felt like, what is she talking to herself? Is she talking out loud while she's doing this? It's like, she's talking to the dog. Brandon. Well, that was scary. I sure hope that doesn't happen to me again. <laughs> like who are you yeah, talking yeah. to? <laughs> Uh, I, I found it a bit grating by the end of the issue. Uh, Henderson does attempt to inject some typical teen drama into the mix as well. Uh, that fell a bit flat for me. Yeah. The art by Lee Garbett and colorist Antonio Fabella is outstanding. Garbett is a tremendous artist. The issue looks absolutely incredible. Shadecraft has a promising premise and beautiful art, but the clunky dialogue gives the series a bit of a rocky start. So I'm giving issue number one a skim it. I, I'm right there with you. And I think this suffered from Henderson, who has a great plot idea here. And there's a fun twist that you kind of saw coming, but it's a fun twist. Nonetheless, he literally just needed to like bring a young woman on to help him write this and say, no, we don't walk around just screaming our feelings. Out loud. I mean, it's, not even, <laughs> you know? it's not even that I thought that the dialogue didn't seem true to the character, but the fact that she vocalized it for yeah, the entire it, issue, it makes her sound like a crazy person. And I don't know if it's just, like, I don't know if he was going for like an all ages or YA vibe or whatever, but it didn't come across. It but just came across as weird. I would argue even if it is a YA book, there's a better way to do it. And it, it just, it's a falling down in the writing and it's a falling down in the sense that there are gentler ways to do it. Or maybe you just don't need to do it. Trust your artist to let the reader look at it and be like, Oh, I know exactly what that character is feeling. Cause Lee yes, Garbit exactly, right. is good enough to do that. You can look at these panels and be like, this character is terrified. I don't need the character to look me straight in the eye and go, I am terrified. Like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Trust your artist. Like, let them work. So like, so here's a, here's a, um, here's a slight spoiler that you can totally see coming uh, towards the end of the issue. Uh, there is a scene where, uh, again, the shadows are attacking her. And she says, my own shadow is coming to life and protecting me. And you look at it, you look at this very fully realized art by Lee Garbett, and you're like, that is not her shadow. Yeah. like I'm, It Lee is obvious that's not her shadow. Yeah, like Lee Garbett drew something amazing there. Yeah. It's almost like the writer sent over the notes to the artist and Lee Garbett sent back the finished panels and he went, don't worry, I'll write in the dialogue and just like, well, it's not really what I was picturing, but it'll work, you know? And then like wrote oh, the see, script. No, I actually it. think it, I think it sounds more like the flip side. Like, oh, really? What you're describing, what you're describing is the Marvel method where they would like send an out the, the very famous Stan Lee Marvel method Oh yeah, where yeah. Stan Lee would send out an outline. The artists would draw 
what was in their heads and then Stanley would fill in the word balloons. Right. I think that Lee, I think that Henderson had a full script with all dialogue written and Lee Garbutt had to do his best. <laughs> yeah, maybe that could be, but yeah, it is a skim it. And it's just, I think this creative team needs to learn to trust each other a little better. And that's the only problem. Like less is more. Yeah. It's just a lesson in less yeah, is more. Absolutely. Take a note out of Mike Magnola's book. You don't have to write it all out. Let's move to this week. My first review from this Wednesday's comic pile is Beta Ray Bill, number one from Marvel. It's written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson. A venomized Fing Fang Foom, you heard that right, is coming for Asgard. And only their new master of war, Beta Ray Bill, stands in the way. Now, if you haven't been paying attention to Donny Kate's Thor, first of all, you're missing out and you might be a jerk. Thor is now the All-Father, and while butting heads with Bill a little while back, during his time as a Herald of Galactus, it was fucking awesome, Thor destroyed Bill's hammer, Stormbreaker, leaving Bill stuck in his super horse face form. The two, of course, made up later, and Thor gave Bill the job, but Bill's getting a little tired of living in the Thunder God's shadow. Now... I know you're saying, Matt, this is a King and Black tie-in, but the Venom King and Black event is proving to be the exception to the rule when it comes to tie-ins. And getting one of the most exciting young talents in comics working today for this book didn't hurt either. Johnson's art makes every page look like the coolest 70s metal record cover you've ever seen. His action is massive, macho, and perfectly over the top. The script is deceptively sweet when it needs to be, and even features a look at Bill's origin that we have never seen. Beta Ray Bill is one of my favorite C-list Marvel characters and Thor guest stars, and he could not be in better hands. This is a massive buy it. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing really more I can add to this. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. It's awesome in the same way. It's awesome in the same way as everything Daniel Warren Johnson touches. It is heavy metal. Just like splashed across the comic page. And it, it works so well with Kate's Thor. As, as far yeah, sure. as, as tone and man, God, I loved it. Now, I, I will say this, though, to the book's credit, I am not up to date on Kate's as Thor. And so Beta Ray Bill number one does a fine job catching catching you up on those offense. Definitely. And like, so you don't have to have read it. Like they tell you exactly where what's going on and how Bill got to where he's where he's at. And truthfully, you um, don't have to know anything about the king in black either. I mean, they yeah, no, they lay it out. Here comes Fing Fang Foom. He's possessed by a venom. Fight. <laughs> and yeah, it's no, awesome. exactly. <laughs> um, you know, there's like there's like this very tender romantic stuff with Lady Sif. But it like which, it goes to a really awful place fast. It does, and, and it's yeah. Just like, you know, like it, it's ugh. like Thor Thor really did build dirty, and and uh I'm I don't blame him for being pissed about it. Yeah. Um yeah, this was this was outstanding. Uh I cannot wait. To read more of it. The art is tremendous. Uh, Daniel Warren Johnson. He's probably in my top five current comic creators. Yeah, he's, I don't, he's I don't probably high on the list. I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, this is a huge buy it for me. And uh, calling Bill C-list is uh, kind of an insult. He so is absolutely C-list. <laughs> There's no question. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll give you a B-list. I'll give you a B-list. Really? Okay. <laughs> Look, man, I'd put Beta Ray Bill on the Avengers. Take that shit. That's 
Joe Patrick at work for you. So, like, I would love to as well, but... <laughs> He'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Little knowing of the strange reception which awaits him, Thor hurtles toward Asgard. My final review for this week goes to The Flash, number 768 from DC. Television and screen writer Jeremy Adams inherits the adventures of the fastest man alive from Joshua Williamson, celebrating the return of Wally West as the star of the book, just in time for him to retire? What? Based on the solicits in the months leading up to this issue, I was a bit worried about the next potential disaster to visit the life of my favorite DC Comics character. But a Newsarama interview with Adams earlier this week put me at ease. He's clearly a fan of the character. And for as long as he's at the wheel, Wally is done suffering. The retirement angle is obviously a red herring as Wally is thrown into a high adventure situation straight out of the Silver Age. Meanwhile, Barry and the Justice League try to figure out what happened while reconciling their complex feelings about what Wally has been through and what he's done in recent months. It's a tough juggling act, but I thought Adams did a great job dealing with the different tones of the story. There is a liveliness and a fun to Wally's part in the book that the character has been missing for far too long. Uh, yet Adams doesn't just sweep the events of Heroes in Crisis and Death Metal under the rug. Those stories do need to be addressed if Wally is really going to step back into the role as lead Flash. And I thought that Adams was is handling it well so far. The art duties are split between Brandon Peterson, Marco Santucci, and David LaFuente. Uh, Peterson handles the early pages and the Justice League interludes. Santucci and LaFuente team up for the Wally pages. Uh, the way the art is split makes sense. And Peterson and LaFuente really shine. Uh, Santucci is the odd man out with his much more realistic take. It's not bad at all. It just doesn't really fit with the other styles. Yeah, it did get a little weird. And yeah, not that he, not, this is not to say that he's not talented. He's no, it's just it's, like, it's a it's a it's a tonal shift, yeah. right? It's like super bombastic superhero slick. Right. And then it's like very realistic. Right. And then it's David LaFuente, who is like a cartoon come to life. One thing that I didn't notice until rereading this issue is that Brandon Peterson completely ignored all of the extraneous lines that have plagued the Flash's costume since the start of the New 52. Oh, I noticed that immediately. I looked it, at both of them when they were doing the racing scene, and I just looked yeah, at yeah. it and went like, oh my God, this looks like the Flash. I know. <laughs> and the, yeah. if you look at the dialogue that's written, the people that are looking at him, and they're like, is that the Flash? I don't know. I think it's cosplay. Pretty good cosplay, though. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, right. they're yeah. making fun of it. Like, saying, like, these just like two guys in superhero suits. <laughs> you know? Uh, it, it's such a small quality of life adjustment that I really hope carries on in future issues. Please, God, just let it stick. Flash 768 was a great start from a promising new comic writer. Uh, he did do some of the future state stuff, but uh, this is his first ongoing gig. Flash 768 was a great start from a promising new comic writer. And the beginning of what I hope is a return to greatness for Wally West. This gets a buy it from me. I loved it. Yeah, at first I felt a little like pulled out of the flash element, I guess when I started reading this, but then I realized it's like, Oh, Hey, it's because, and this is not like a knock on Joshua Williamson, but I felt like Williamson who wrote the book for a long time, spent so much time trying to constantly recapture that Jeff Johns feeling for it the was flash. Just saga after saga, yeah, after saga, and, after and saga, everything had to have this like heartwarming 
feeling in the end. And it's like, hey, we can have a little fun with this book. We can make some jokes. We can we can crack wise here and there. And it's fun and it's funny. There's like a cute scene where Green Arrow is there and he's talking to Mr. Terrific and he's and Barry and they're talking about the speed force and going back and forth and, and they both like put their hand on their chin and Green Arrow goes like, oh, you guys are adorable. And they both go, oh, never mind. And like take their hands off their chin. <laughs> and it was like that moment was like, yes, we can have fun in this comic book again. And there are a lot of really fun moments. I'm super happy to have Wally back. When they started going with the retirement thing, I was like, no, no. <laughs> like you now, said like, the pigeons. <laughs> now something, something that I normally, normally I make fun of the big two's uh, tendency to spoil things before the book's even out. But DC like very wisely came out and said, Wally is the new star of the Flash. Yeah, because I like otherwise had I not had that not happened, I might have been like, yeah. "Fuck you!" <laughs> like, right. I'm so when the solicit came out and it was like the retirement of Wally West, it was like, uh, "Okay, right." Pump the brakes. No, it's clever. I'm giving this a huge buy it. And again, all the artists on this are amazingly talented. I do agree that Santucci. It, the only reason he stuck out a little bit was because he is so realistic. It's different, right? It's but like a square peg. And I would a, argue they used him well those. because they told like three different, you know, past, yeah, yeah. present, and future time travel stories, more or less, and it worked really well. Huge buy it. I I think the I, Flash I, is going like, to be fun to read again. I I'm so impressed by the evolution of Brandon Peterson as an artist, because I remember him from the X-Men stuff in yeah. the nineties and he's come a long way, baby. He really has. He really has. The Flash, Scarlet Speedster for justice. My final review is of Witch Blood, number one from Vault. This is written by Matthew Ehrman with art by Lisa Sturley. They're a husband and wife team. We last saw them on Long Lost from Scout, which I reviewed last year and quite liked. Ehrman and Sturley set up a neon desert southwest where our hero, Yana, an immortal witch that talks to her crow familiar, Boo, and rides a motorcycle instead of a broom, prowls the highways. Yana is run off the road and decides it's time to rob some humans to pay for repairs to her motorcycle, the Ramblin' Rose. From there, we meet a very fashionable witch hunter and a vampire cycle gang, all of which are here to ruin Yana's day. Ehrman borrows on some modern anime tropes with characters screaming funny dialogue. Sterling's art follows suit with flames in Yana's eyes and all manner of dramatic effect when characters are freaking out for comedic effect, of course. And at first, I admit, it grated on me a little bit. I didn't get it until about three quarters away through the book. And then I said to myself, okay, Sterling's art isn't manga stylized, but it is manga informed and it's very good along with colorist gab Contreras, who does a great job setting up this real-time feel for the story when you start it's pitch dark outside with colors going from deep black and blue to sunrise orange and then bright yellow during the day and sunset reds finally back to deep blues when the vampires show up in the end the story is Pretty straight ahead, modern Western with witches and vampire stuff in a very Scott Pilgrim fairy tale style. Witchblood number one was fun and perfectly good for probably an audience a little younger than I am. It had great art. I'm giving this a buy it. Teen plus. Yeah. You know, it's a teen, teen plus book. I, I agree. PG 13. Um, 
yeah, no, I thought this was very strong. Uh, I, I'm sorry to say this is a failing on my part. No excuses. We review a lot of books, but I should, I should be better. Uh, I don't remember anything about Long Lost. Nothing. Um, but it was another supernatural thought, female character. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, but I thought that uh, the story was very strong. I loved the art. Uh, Lisa Sterling's art, tremendous. I thought it was awesome. Uh, this is. A, a strong debut like vault puts out a lot of great comics and this is one of them it's a buy it that is it for new comic reviews and now it's time to pick the book that makes it to the thn collection matt which comic are you bagging and boarding it's beta rebuild and it's and i admit i have a weakness <sighs> for that character I love that character, but I'm not picking the book just because of my love for the character. I think Daniel Warren Johnson is doing something very interesting that is not just a tie-in to a Venom storyline that's going on right now. We're going to get some real introspection and look into the history of well, Vader I, I think he got the I think he got the tie-in out of the way in the first like five pages. Literally, yeah. And I think we're gonna learn a lot about this character. Um and like what it's like to play second fiddle, more or less. I'm watching this F1 documentary right now on Netflix, I, which I never thought I would care about, but it is so goddamn good. And like the most famous racer in the world has a guy that's on his team whose job it is to make sure the most famous racer in the world wins. And we just watched an episode about how oh, difficult- that's kind of like how NASCAR works. Yeah, to an extent, yeah. And how difficult it is to be that guy. And Beta Ray Bill is that guy. He's not going to be Thor. He's not going to be the Thunder God. He's always going to play second fiddle. And now he's trying to decide how he's going to square that in his life. And I have to see where this goes. I loved it. Uh, well, you're a coward, and I'm picking my pick because of my love for the character. You don't have to sugarcoat it. <laughs> it's the Flash, number 768. I was so, like, I'm, I was so worried about how DC was going to continue to trample on Wally right. West. They were like, he's back, but he's got cancer. And you're like, no, yeah, no come I was on. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it's like... Wally and, West like they, is the they, flash, they, but his eyes fell out. You know? right. <laughs> yeah, he's got no what? feet. Right. He's the flash, but he's got no feet. Uh, but no, like, yeah, like they, they would give an inch and then they would take a yard. Right. Like, he, ooh, he found his family. He found his kids. But his wife doesn't remember him. I am oh, not no. excited to have the kids but, back. Whatever. <laughs> the reason we don't love the kids is because those stories mm, suck. Mm. I hope Listen, they have no powers. And they need to it's change fine. their names, too. Jai and Iray. Like, mm. No, her name is Iris, and his name is Jay. They, yeah. just, they just called her Irie as a called nickname. Called her Irie? <laughs> yeah, you know, they were big reggae fans. Yeah, apparently. Uh, yeah, no, Flash 768, I, I was so thrilled by what uh, Jeremy Adams brought to the character. I like, And I've, I have not really, like, I've liked the Flash off and on since Barry came back. But if you had asked me one thing I could change of, about the last, like, 10, 15 years of DC Comics, I'd be like, Barry should have stayed dead. Yeah, I don't care about Barry. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care about Barry. and He's not interesting. It's not because I haven't read enough Barry stuff. I've read a shitload of Barry stuff. I don't he's care about Barry. He's just not interesting. Yeah. Right? He's not that interesting. No. 
he was more interesting as a dead, like a some as a character that loomed over the yes. lives of of his loved ones. His death was the most interesting thing that ever happened to that yes, character. One hundred percent, and it changed 100%. the DC universe. Yeah, and absolutely. Let's celebrate that and and live through it and have a new character pick up the Flash and become that. And that's Wally. All of that said, though. I really liked Adams's treatment of Barry in this book. Yeah. And I'm totally fine if we're having a book where Wally and Barry have this like father-son dynamic, you know, or, you know, cool uncle nephew dynamic. Kind of want Barry to go away. <laughs> he's not I like, like he's if, not I don't think he's going to be in the book cuz Barry's the whole eyes deal was that If Barry's eyes fell out, I wouldn't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he accepted that role um like being the multi, the omniversal investigator for right. the totality or whatever. Right. So like he, Barry's got his own adventures coming up. Yeah. Send him um, in the universe where nobody gets old. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. The, uh, Flash seven sixty eight. It was everything I needed it to be, not just wanted it to be. It's go. It's my pick for sure. That's enough talk of actual comics now. It's time to head up the THM Sanctum Sictorum to talk about some theoretical comics. Joe they Patrick. They don't exist. Only in our minds it's do they true. exist. It's true. What is your must-read pick for next week? Well, if it were real, my pick for next week would be Green Lantern number one from DC Comics. It's written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Dexter Soy. And, you know, Bernard Chang's in that mix somewhere. He might just be doing the covers. I think he's just the covers. Uh, it is a, a number of pages, an unspecified number of pages for $4.99, Yeah, which makes it sound like it should be extra length, but who knows? Well, DC is basically like distributed by bootleggers now, so we can't sure, get that information yeah, yeah, right. anymore. <laughs> uh, now, like I will say this, like I didn't count the pages and I didn't double check the price, um, but it did feel like the flash this week was a little bit longer. It definitely was. And so, it was you know, maybe pages. some of these, yeah. maybe some of these Infinite Frontier debut issues are just going to be a little bit extra length. Be nice if they would tell us that. that it, if there was a place sure we would. could go to find that information, that'd be cool. Yeah, boy, I, there. But like you, here's your solicit. As this new Green Lantern series begins, the newly formed United Planets and the Guardians of the Universe hold an intergalactic summit to decide who can best serve and protect the cosmos from danger. With the majority of Green Lanterns called back to Oa, Jon Stewart arrives alongside Teen Lantern, Kelly Quintella, whose powerful gauntlet could be one of the most powerful and unstable weapons in the universe. With the entire landscape of the universe in flux, is this the end of the Green Lantern Corps? Dot, dot, dot. Or a new beginning? I'm going to bet it's the end and this is the only issue we get. Yeah, I think this is a one and done Green yep. Lantern. Yeah, um, huge uh, adventure. Yeah, yeah uh, everybody dies. Just like a red smear on the last page. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Uh, Jeffrey Thorne wrote the lead story in the Future State Green Lantern book, which I really liked. Matt didn't love it because I was, it, I was fine with it. Nah, you didn't love it. it. It did that thing you didn't like, which was it, dro it yeah. dropped you into the middle of an adventure where John Stewart's no longer a Green Lantern and he's fighting like this barbarian battle. Anyway. Um, I thought it was I thought it was a strong story. I think he's going to be a good fit for the traditional proper Green Lantern book. Uh, I'm ashamed to say that I was not up to date on Grant Morrison's Green Lantern book. 
Uh, and so I'm kind of glad that it's returning to some sort of familiar status quo. I was completely up to date on Grant Morrison's Green Lantern book. Like, I'm glad to have the core back and the Guardians Green and the whole, all the tracks. Morrison's Lantern was incredible. With that said, it felt completely removed from anything that was happening in the DC universe. Right, exactly. And exactly. this is going to be much more rooted in the DC universe, which is great. You know, fine. Perfect. DC was in a state where everything felt completely removed from the DC universe when Morrison was doing his. So, and I do think Thorne will probably be okay. I just don't know that future state was the best way to set all this stuff up and we'll see. But I don't think future state wasn't a setup for the book necessarily. It was doing its own story. Right. Which may have been a mistake in my opinion, but we'll see. But that was future state, Matt. Not everything in future state was meant to be a setup for a future story. <laughs> But you had the same people writing and drawing it. In some cases, yes. Just saying. I'm right. My pick for next week is Geiger, number one, from Image Comics. It's 36 pages for $3.99. It's written by Jeff Johns with art by Gary Frank. Here's, here's your solicit. Industry heavyweights Jeff Johns and Gary Frank settle down of DC's doomsday clock. I mean, they kind of are. Yeah, I know. Routine for what will be one of the most anticipated new series of 2021 in the forthcoming Geiger. You got that? I don't want to hear wow. that you weren't excited about it because it's they important, just guys. told you we are excited about it whether you like it or not. This it's capital I with, it's important with a capital I. Now, pay close attention to this next sentence. This mind-blowing new series will, not may, but will take local comic shops by storm in April from Image Comics. Who are the scavengers of a dying Earth? Geiger is set in the years since a nuclear war ravaged the planet. Desperate outlaws battle for survival in a world of radioactive chaos. Out past the poison wasteland lives a man even night crawlers and organ people feel. That sounds gross. Some name him Joe Glow. Others call him the Meltdown Man. But his name is Geiger. I love that they just came right out and demanded that this is going to be a hit. <laughs> yeah, um, it's the sort of it's the sort of thing that I believe it was DC uh, used to do in, in the seventies. You know, they would like advertise a book and right. they'd be like, "Don't ask, just buy it." Right, <laughs> and that's what this is. And I'm like, "Okay, great." Yeah, you will be demanding it. <laughs> yes, like okay. <laughs> this sounds like a pitch that maybe Jeff Johns had for Captain Adam in a black label book in the future or something. I, it looks amazing. It's Gary Frank. Knock that shit off. That is not what this is. It's, this I, is it may or may not be. I don't know, but it sounds like it could have been. This is one. This is, I, I don't know if it's, it's his first. Is this Jeff Johns's first creator owned work? Funny. You should ask. He was supposed to do this at DC under his, Killing Zone imprint, but decided to switch venues, and this will be his first work at Image since he did a single issue of Witchblade that was released back in 2003. I just pulled that off the top of my head. I didn't have to look wow. it up or anything. Yeah, I'm that good. I am impressed, Matt. Impressed. Uh, so we have talked about Jeff Johns for a while now. What happened? Uh, yeah. What's going on with Jeff Johns? What is the deal with Jeff Johns? Because right. <laughs> Jeff Johns was the biggest thing ever at DC for 10 years, 15 oh, years. A long time. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm going to say longer least, than 10, I think. I'm going to say at least 15 years. And then he mm -hmm. kind of vanished. So 
I hope this is good. I love Gary Frank. I don't know what's going on there. I would like to know more, but I will also say if you Google the name Jeff Johns, one of the first things that comes up is people asking the question, what happened to Jeff Johns? <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a mystery out there and I would love to know. I, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, you know, I don't, I don't really like go in for all of the conspiracy nonsense you like to come up with, but uh, the idea that it was supposed to like DC promised him his own imprint. Yeah. I guess technically three jokers was part of that, even though it was labeled, it was a black label book, I suppose, but this isn't like Dan Jurgens dealing with, but then know. that's it. And then there was nothing. Yeah. Right. Uh, a doomsday clock took forever to come out partly because of Gary Frank, something very strange happened between Jeff Johnson, DC. It's weird. He got removed from his role or he, he stepped down. His, we, he he stepped no down. longer was in charge of the movie side of things. Now we're hearing all this, these things about how he was abusive to Ray Fisher and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So like, there's all this conjecture about Jeff Johns on the movie side. He disappeared from the comic side. We may never know. Shazam is uh, not coming out anymore either. As far as we know. Yeah. Right. Shazam has not come out in a long time. So though they did, he did have that star girl story in infinite frontier. Yeah. So, I mean, I, who's to say, but, um, I still like Jeff Johns as a writer and, I I'm excited to see new ongoing content from him. Totally. And Gary Frank is one of my favorite artists of all Just time. Just don't hold your breath for issue two. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, you'll you know. die. <laughs> so. The THN trade for next week just so happens to be the next entry in the THN. Take a look. It's in a book club and it is Seven Secrets, volume one. Trade paperback from Boom Studios, written by Tom Taylor, with art by Danielle DiNiculo. DiNiculo? DiNiculo. 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 Sorry about that, Daniela. It's 160 pages for $16.99. Here's your solicit. Severin secrets will change the world. For centuries, the Order has trusted in keepers and holders to guard the secrets in seven briefcases against all harm. But when their stronghold is attacked and the secrets are put in peril, the entire Order must face an enemy who knows too much. Now, the Order's newest member, Casper, must discover the truth of the secrets before the enemy does or risk losing everything. This collects seven secrets, number one through six. We reviewed issue number one and enjoyed it very much. Uh, we failed to keep up with the series, so I'm excited to revisit it. This is the only way we can. Like, I was like, this will force us to catch up on a book that we know we love. Right. <laughs> so, let's do it. Spoilers. <laughs> it's probably going to be a buy it. You can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitters and our Faces book if you want to read along with us. So hit up your local comic shop. Pre-order all these comics. And you'll know it is time to turn the page when you hear this sound. Remember all the, like, the Bring, Star Wars read-alongs? Brings thing? back all those memories. Like, time to yeah, right. Who the hell is that guy? We talked about Beta Ray Bill earlier, and you may be asking yourself, well, who the hell is this horse-faced guy with a hammer? Well, you're in luck, because the THN historian and writer of the American comic book Chronicles, Mr. Jason Sachs, is here for his famous Who the Hell is This Guy segment. It's the Beta Ray Bill edition. Hi, welcome to Who the Hell is This Guy? I'm Jason Sachs, and I do the classic comics cavalcade and Jason and the Movie Knots podcast. 
With his new miniseries premiering this week, it seems like the right time to look at one of Marvel's greatest and most underrated heroes, Beta Ray Bill. Bill debuted in spectacular fashion in the pages of Thor, number 337, cover dated November 1983. It's an amazing comic by the great Walt Simonson, beginning with the unforgettable cover which shows a strange creature destroying the Thor logo by swinging what looks like Thor's hammer. In that incredible issue, we discover that an enormous spaceship, capable of consuming suns, is hurtling towards the Earth. Nick Fury summons Thor to help find out what's going on, and when he gets to the ship, Thor finds a strange sleeping alien, an oddly armored, horse-faced biped with the implausible name of Beta Ray Bill, who engages Thor in battle. And who wins? And even more surprisingly, the creature picks up the hammer, which he had won in battle, and becomes a strange version of Thor. By the next issue, Odin accidentally summons Bill to Asgard and learns the honor that lives in Bill's heart. We discovered Bill was a warrior from a great and ancient race, imperiled by evil invaders who wiped out half of his civilization. They bioengineered Bill to become their greatest warrior, gave him a spaceship called the Scuttlebutt, and sent him to try to stop the invaders. As his four-part debut played out, Bill quickly became a trusted friend and ally of all the Asgardian heroes, a virtual brother to Thor, and maybe even a love interest for Sif. Odin grants Bill the powers of Thor, his own hammer called Sturbringer, and even the ability to transform himself into his original form by banging his hammer on the ground. After those brilliant books, Bill became a journeyman supporting character at Marvel, who only rarely appeared for a few years. He was part of a deliriously 90s storyline in some 1993 issues of Silver Surfer, Warlock Chronicles, and Thor. He was part of the Thor Corps in a terrible three-parter. By the early 2000s, fans who loved Simonson's run were creating their own Marvel comics. After reappearing in the miniseries Maximum Security and a few issues of Thor, Bill received his own six-issue mini in 2005, courtesy of Michael Avon Emming, Daniel Berman, and Andrea DeVoto. In that storyline, he visits the remains of his people who have settled onto a new planet, only for them to be visited by Stardust. And where Stardust wandered in the early 2000s, Galactus soon followed. Sadly, Bill's people are wiped out. Even a short team-up with Stardust doesn't save Bill from getting exiled to Earth, where he found himself with a human body for unknown reasons. Bill's alien race is kind of the loseringest race ever. Uh, They just got wiped out again and again. It's tragic and sad. Somehow Bill never lets that totally oppress him. By the 2010s, Bill appeared here and there a participant in the Thanos Imperative storyline and the Death of the Inhuman storyline as a member of Omega Flight and as a key player in the Onworthy Thor storyline. Most recently, Odin destroyed Stormbringer during the King in Black storyline, which is a spark for the new Daniel Warren Johnson mini, starring my favorite alien hero. Yeah, my favorite, even more than Superman. The preview art looks amazing for this mini, so I hope the comic is just as good as it seems. Beta Ray Bill seems like yet another derivative character, and yet, unlike characters like Thunderstrike or Dakin or U.S. Agent, who I'll talk about soon, Bill has an ability and inner happiness, not to mention an amazing visual look that makes him stand out from the rest. To me, Beta Ray Bill has always been an underrated character, and I hope we get to see a Beta Ray Bill ongoing someday. Thanks for listening. Excelsior! Oh. 
That is it for THN 616. And next week, we're getting sucked back into the cosmic long box where, in honor of Kong versus Godzilla, hitting, well, small screens and big screens, today, actually, we'll be talking about giant monsters in comics. Now, Joe was worried I was going to make him read a bunch of Japanese comics, but kaiju just means big monsters. So any big monster counts. We're going to delve deep into the history of comics to read about some of our heroes and, you know, maybe villains fighting the biggest monsters in comics history. I saw I saw something on Twitter this week uh, that asked, is Paul Bunyan a kaiju? Yes, technically. And you know what? Yep. You bet your ass he is. Yes, and if he I can is. find a Paul Bunyan comic book, I'm going to review it. <laughs> yes, he, he's got an axe. <laughs> Come on. Hell yeah. And a giant ox. Yeah. But a babe. Blue ox. No question that Babe the Blue Ox has got you. <laughs> like, no question. Until then, Joe Patrick, remind these nerds about our question of the week. We will be discussing this Saturday. You know, unless there's another structural collapse in the ziggurat or whatever. Well, you know, we had some plumbing work. It was loud. So. Yeah, yeah. This week's question, once again, came from us because we're just, we're, we're full of ideas. Based on last week's Cosmic Long Box topic of aliens versus whoever. And I would say Beta Ray Bill, our Beta Ray Bill talk, you know. Sure, yeah, you know. Uh, what is your favorite fictional alien race it doesn't just have to be comics it could be video games movies books whatever yeah. that's your thing tv shows if you really love the ferengi i want to hear all yeah. about it maybe you're Especially heavy into the, the ferengi the vin diesels from pitch black whatever the fuck their names were yeah yeah i mean the, oh, the furions that know. was their name the furions, oh, the furions. <laughs> yes the furions <laughs> Wait, was he a Furion yeah. or were those people he was helping? No, he Furion. was the last of the Furions, and that's why they wanted to kill him, because he was so dangerous. They got Judy Dench to be in that piece of yeah, shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> which we liked at the time. Okay. We, went, we walked out of the Chronicles of Riddick you together, may recall, and we like, that was fun. Everything was good about the movie, except for Vin Diesel. <laughs> I, I tried to rewatch the Chronicles of Riddick recently, and I got about 30 minutes oh, in. Yeah, I was it's like, not no, good. thank yeah, you. It's not good. Uh, please continue to send us your question of the week suggestions. God bless Brian Domingos. He keeps popping them off on the TH and forums. We don't pay. If that you want to rap about, in fact, we don't pay that guy anything. <laughs> we don't, but you know what? He does it for the love. God bless him. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerd news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show. We call it THN cover to cover. It happens every Saturday at 11 a.m. Central time. And it's hosted on our Facebook page. You can call us at 402-819-4894. You can also join our Zoom chat live by clicking on the link that we put in the uh, Facebook post. If you can't be there live or you want to submit anything for a show segment, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message at the aforementioned THN hotline. You could and will be internet famous you will be internet famous we demand that you'll be internet famous That's right just like you will demand geiger number one at your local comic <laughs> shop is right if you're new to the show and you'd rather have sex with a horse than listen to any more i assure you Hey-o. it's only because you haven't heard enough the good news is you can hear the entire run of thn their digital long box archive at you at nerd.com but hosting that many episodes it ain't cheap so we want to thank donors like mr Moneybags. Michael Lee. I cannot believe that guy is giving us $500 a month 
to listen to this show. It's yeah, crazy. Really, it's the it's Michael. the only way we keep. You know how much it costs to keep the juice on in the ziggurat? Seriously. If it wasn't for Michael Lee, we would be dead. We got screens everywhere, and they're green. They're really like lame alien type computer screens. <laughs> like they're bad. The, uh, yeah, they're like. Uh, <laughs> they make noise every time rate. you type. They're like Apple IIe. Yeah, Sarah. I know what we were thinking when we built this place. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our friends in the trans community today, comic creators, fans, or otherwise. As we record this, it is International Transgender Day of Visibility, which has just been officially recognized by the U.S. government this year for the first time since it began in 2009. It was really cool to see all the trans creators coming out on Twitter today, posting their pictures and shit like that. Comics are for everyone. And anyone who tells you differently is an asshole. And you can feel free to not listen to them and let them know they are not welcome if they're going to kick anyone out. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just drop kick your ass right out of the comic book store. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Sorry.